welcome back to another episode of the Final Phase Podcast. Another esports related episode coming up with a lot of little details concerning life in pro teams. So far we had players, we had casters, streamers, but now it's time to talk to a manager and a coach. Our guest today is Dofos uh, from Team NIP, or Ninjas in Pajamas as you may know him. He's been on the scene for a while now, for about two years, and he's one of the most experienced in the field. So let's jump right in. Here we go, guys. We have Dofos here with us. He was kind enough to get up early at noon to record this. So <laughs> for us gamers, it's it's pretty early. I must be honest. Uh, how are you doing, Dofos? I'm doing good. Doing good. Happy to be here. Very Perfect. fine to you. Perfect. All right. So. Let's start with your uh, gaming background. You've been here for quite a while in gaming. Uh, could you tell us more about your beginnings, uh, who you play with, what games you played, uh, teams you've been on, uh, etc.? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I've been into gaming for quite some time now. I'm a little bit older than most, I guess, in the gaming scene. So, well, I basically started in the late 90s playing Quake 2. Uh, my first actual competitive game was Battlefield 1942. Uh, back then, I played with uh, someone that is quite familiar to many in PUBG, uh, Demon, the mm-hmm. caster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we played together in a team called uh, the Relaxed Muppets, mm-hmm. which, funnily enough, was a name that we kind of made up because, I don't know, there was a lot, a lot of Latin names back then. You can see it in uh, Natus Vincere, for example, Navi. Mm-hmm. But we decided to go the funny route with Relax Muppets because there was also this Swedish org that was called Ninjas in Pyjamas that kind of made, made it okay. Yeah. <laughs> so here I am, like 20 <laughs> years later, representing NIP. So that is sleep. really cool. Yeah, indeed. But yeah, I, I started playing Battlefield 1942. Uh, we're pretty good in that game uh, went over to call of duty one and later call of duty four uh i've been uh well i've been in game leading for my entire career per se so i guess the transition into me being who i am today kind of makes sense as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so how did you get into PUBG? Uh, actually got into PUBG by a friend who showed off some streams by this funny guy called Dr. Disrespect, mm-hmm. uh, which is also kind of funny because this guy we met again after 15 years of idling, we met like on a reunion party, uh, from the Relax Muppets time and Demo was supposed to be there, but he wasn't, but either way, this guy showed me this game, PUBG, Disrespect, was funny. And then when I got back home, I looked it up on Twitch. I found, uh, like, the guy that was online streaming was Ponyhoof mm-hmm. with the most viewers. So when I watched him, he was playing with some random guy who named himself after a vacation island, Ibiza. And, but I quickly realized that Wait, Ponyhoof is in the better of these two guys. So why am I watching Ponyhoof? So I started watching Ibiza. <laughs> mm, that's basically how I got into competitive PUBG. 
I see. So you started with just watching one of the best players back then. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. So <laughs> tell me about the road from a Twitch viewer to someone that was uh, managing one of the first big teams, successful teams in uh, PUBG. Yeah. Um, so I was watching EB and like generally gaining an interest into competitive PUBG. Uh, I have this thing that I can't really shut up about things when I see them, like when something is not done like correctly or if something can be done better or the organization around something could be done better. So I basically started tweeting stuff, saying what I thought and basically tweeted schedules, tweeted results, basically whatever. And uh, EB and Fuzzface. Fuzzface, I also started watching because he was Swedish and he was playing together with EB back then. Uh, so both of them, I guess, started to recognize my name and then they saw my name on Twitter popping up. And all of a sudden, I was kind of approached by them per se. And because they needed someone to like have some structure around them being able mm -hmm. to tell them like yeah what's going on really so yeah it was I, I went from being basically a no nobody to being somebody in quite a quick progression that's very interesting i've never heard some something like that just being like omnipresent i guess on twitter and just trying to help people out and stuff uh, to uh, to lead into a manager position so that's really cool so did you have any other uh, like team leading managing experiences before or, or was that your first one uh, not really managing like uh, within esports i've mm -hmm. been like i said before i was an in-game leader when i was playing myself mm -hmm. uh, I've, like in real life i've also been a coach for like football teams and stuff uh, so i mean leading or taking charge has always been like something that's been accessible for me that mm -hmm. I've come to do. And like in my real life, <laughs> I also work, I'm in charge of the, well, uh, one department at the firm I'm working at. So mm -hmm. I guess you could say I've been managing that, but I haven't been managing within esports before. I see. All right. So tell me about Team Penguin. It's one of the more, let's say, legendary teams in PUBG's history and uh, regarded as one of the best back in the day. So could you tell me who played and how the structure looked there and uh, what was your job in Team Penguin? Yeah. So when I joined Team Penguin, it was Leighton, Fuzzface, Ibiza, and Larson. And like you say, it was one of the more famous and established teams there was in PUBG back then. Um, my role was basically to keep a schedule of stuff, to mm -hmm. keep us signed up and stuff, to keep them informed, and to basically make their situation better or more easy, approachable. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, like a month or two after I joined them, we failed to qualify to IEM Oakland, which was back then the 
biggest and first actual PUBG event if you disregard uh, Gamescom 2017. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was like the big first tournament and we failed to qualify. Because we, yeah, some unfortunate events on Mill Island, if yeah. I recall correctly. And then, uh, well, since we failed to qualify, Phosphase got an offer from Gcore, now Face Clan, mm-hmm. that he obviously had to take up on. Uh, Leighton got an offer from Method that he picked up on, and both Method and Face were going to IEM Oakland, so pretty much straight away, we yeah. had to restructure the entire team. So how did the, the other teammates feel about that uh, uh, the team shift, let's say, and, and uh, two people leaving, and how did you restructure? Yeah, I think the biggest downer was actually uh, nothing bad on Leighton, but like the biggest loss was obviously like Fussface, because he was regarded and still is one of the absolutely best players in the world. So losing him was like big downer. And, but I mean, it's competitive gaming, so you just have to take it for what it is and move on. So yeah, we quite quickly found like two good replacement players for them uh, in Vod and uh, Gaxi. Mm-hmm. That bits unknown from early. All right, so uh, that was a pretty solid team as well. So uh, what happened? Uh... With Team uh, Kingwin later on. <laughs> yeah, so roughly like two months later after this, uh, we had Ibiza getting a phone call from Team Liquid, uh, creating the super team of Team Liquid back then, which was obviously Skoom, uh, Ibiza, it was uh, James and Santi. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he picked up on that. And the, the the funny story here that's a bit, little bit unknown because the replacement we got for Ibiza was Miracle. Mm-hmm. Miracle still plays with us, but in a sense, it was actually Ibiza who recruited Miracle to the team, despite Ibiza leaving the team. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, but it worked out pretty well. Of course, that was like a big downer again to lose out on Ibiza because him too was like a big star player. Uh, not only because of his following on Twitch, but like, yeah, he's one of the more competitive players you can find. And I've always liked, really liked Ibiza's mentality when it comes to PUBG. Uh, like he, his competitiveness is one of the absolute best out there i'd say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what happened to the team later on uh talking about pgi for example yeah, yeah. Uh, so like before the pgi qualifier uh, the team we decided that we wanted something new like a new challenge we've been in team kingwin for quite a while back then and it just felt that we needed something new so we mutually agreed to terminate our contracts with them and we started the WTSG, Welcome to South Georgia team, 
looking for a new org, uh, which obviously was harder than we would have hoped it to be. Uh, not that we didn't get offers, but it's just hard to find actual right fit mm-hmm. in both terms and organization. But, so we went to PGI as WTSG, which was all good. Um, and we played pretty well there. We placed third in both the TPP and FPP. And yeah, it was like a great experience. Uh, PGI is still one of the most fun events I've been to, like organized and stuff. It was really cool. Yeah, but how much how much prize money did you win in, in the, the tournaments combined? I mean, in the PGI tournaments combined? Yeah, excluding the qualifier, we won 220k dollars. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was also pretty good to be orgless. Yeah, true. <laughs> in, a, in a sense, <laughs> because all the money was ours. But the thing is, right, when what you don't really realize is that an org helps you so much, even when winning prize money and stuff, like actually invoicing it and getting rid of not getting rid of taxes but paying taxes for it and the whole process of getting paid is a bigger process than what it might look like mm-hmm. um, so even though it was great being orgless and winning all that money it was still a bunch of hard work actually getting yeah, yeah. the money and getting all the taxes correct and all that kind of stuff yeah you guys on purpose decided not to take a team or was there not enough good uh, offers from the pro teams when it comes to uh, PGI? Uh, well, before PGI, uh, one thing with the whole us not signing before PGI was also that there was like some hard deadlines regarding PGI. So uh, we, we had to have an org before a set date in order for them to be able to produce the in-game skin, for example. Mm-hmm. So the time window was actually quite short for us to sign with an org. Uh, we we had a couple of good offers, uh, but usually it was, or it went, the money is good, the org is bad, or mm. the money is bad and the org is good. I see, but could you define a bad org? What would, what would be a bad org? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can be bad in more regards than one, I guess, but it could either be it was an unknown org for us, mm-hmm. that, uh, well, it wasn't that big. Uh, basically, it could be a newly rich org, if we put it that way, that has a lot of money but doesn't have a name like at all. Uh, or it could be an org with a bad reputation uh, or generally when you when you're talking to people you want to hear them talk good about PUBG uh, and understanding what PUBG is mm-hmm. so you, they don't, don't just sign you because oh you're one of the best team in this game that we don't know anything about but yeah, you probably make us money, right? Yeah. So we'll sign you. Uh, so you want to find this like common ground where you strive 
to become the best together with the org rather than doing it for the org or yeah yeah i see i see so you were saying uh the offers weren't uh perfect so you just decided to no. the offers weren't perfect but it was more of the combination wasn't perfect uh, I see. We had a, and the time frame was too short because say if we had probably just five more days of like the window then we probably would have been signed before PGI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So a, a bit, a little bit unfortunate in that regard. Yeah. But it it went out well for us either way. So not gonna sit here and complain about it now. Yeah. All right. So how did you sign for NIP? Ever since we left Think England, I've been in contact with God know how many orgs. Uh, NIP being one of them. Uh, so we kept the dialogue going for quite some time, uh, tried to find common ground with them. Um, obviously me being Swedish and NIP being Swedish kind of made it easier for me because I had like contacts that had contacts within NIP. So it was fairly easy for me to like get in touch and start talking to them. Uh, NIP is also one of the most highly regarded esports organizations out there. And for us, it felt like that was something that we wanted rather than signing with the unknown. Uh, we wanted stability, especially after being orgless for quite some time. So stability was basically priority number one. Uh, and NIP felt li- really interested in us. And yeah, it was a good dialogue that ended up being a successful signing eventually. Mm-hmm. So you guys later on moved to Berlin to play PL. Um, yeah. So how's that working out overall for you from, from the first day of season one, phase one to uh, now? Yeah, uh, well, it's kind of night and day now compared to how it was just phase one for Mm -hmm. us because we, at first, we didn't have like housing in Berlin. So we traveled back and forth each and every week. Uh, For like phase one, it was pretty okay because phase one was only three weeks, I think. Mm. Uh, Yeah, something short. so, So it was basically just a long tournament or a period where you had tournaments every weekend so that was kind of fine so phase two we also traveled back and forth for pretty much the entire phase uh, or well for say half a phase and then we get housing sorted unfortunately the computers didn't arrive in time because of delays with DHL blah 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 so we ended up living in Berlin without computers for two weeks so you could say from phase two, we had one or two weeks tops where we actually practiced before the games. So you you only played during PL games, and that's yeah. about it. So basically, Friday was our practice. Then we could play Saturday and Sunday. Oh. <laughs> then, then at least we had a couple of games like in the system. 
Wow. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't optimal, but it wasn't really something that we could do much about. Um, and in the end, we ended, of course, like eighth or ninth, I think, in phase two, which was decent, all things considering. Uh, mm-hmm. We would have obviously ended up higher, but yeah, I, I think we're we're fine with it. And, and just now looking forward to phase three and see what we can do when we now actually have a proper setup in Berlin. And it shows in scores, like you've been, uh, what, now top six currently or something? And uh, yeah, pretty close we, in points with, with other guys, right? Yeah, I think we're currently like nine points behind the, the fifth place team, uh, which will obviously change before this video <laughs> goes live. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, we started off slow in this phase, not gonna lie. It's been a bad or a tendency, I guess, for us that we started off slow in tournaments and then we come back stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, if we want to turn it around and see it positively, it's a good thing that we can actually turn it around. Like a bad yeah. start doesn't really matter to us because we know we'll come back eventually. Um, but yeah, now we live in Berlin. Uh, the, the guys live here full time. I still travel back and forth, so I come in basically every weekend uh, and try to like work with them on a more or less daily basis from at home or mm-hmm. on location during weekends. So could you tell us uh, what your job description is in uh, NIP currently? Yeah, um, sure. I'm, uh, I'm doing a little bit of everything. Uh, I think first and foremost, I'm like a PUBG team manager. Uh, I'm also the coach. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm also the coach. And then we have an analyst. I uh, can talk a little bit about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also work, I work for the org. I work for the players. I kind of work as the agent for the players as well. So there's a lot of things going on here. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say first and foremost, I'm more of a mental coach rather than actually trying to tell the guys what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's like a big thing in PUBG that you need people behind you supporting you rather than having people telling you exactly what to do. Obviously, that's like uh, different when from one coach to another, like how you actually work. Uh, but the way I look at it is that I try to be there making stuff easy for them, like as easy as possible, whether it's about the living situation, whether it's about a contract, whether it's about just the daily stuff at the venue. Um, I try to do as much as possible of the stuff that you don't really like to do. Uh, and they can just focus on playing the game. Um, and also be like, you could say I, I've always been like the fifth voice in the team. I see. Uh, because the players, they're obviously like an even number of players, four. And whenever you talk about stuff, it could easily be like group two, two. But 
with me being the fifth guy, I have like one more say in this. Uh, but yeah, I tried to be there as much as possible for whoever wants to talk to me mm-hmm. uh, and just be the supportive guy. Uh, try to make them feel good about themselves, make them feel f- be able to focus on the game rather than to focus on everything that's like around the game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd say I'm the coach manager, but I'm doing a little bit of everything. And we we also hired an analyst just recently, mm-hmm. uh, Isagoda. She's basically been working with us this entire phase. She's been helping us out for quite some time other than that too, but the difference that we've gone to now, because previously we mostly looked at our own game. We focused on, okay, this is how we play, this is what we could do better, and this is how we should approach certain things whether it's being like approaching a compound or approaching a rotation or approaching a circle. But we haven't really looked at other teams because there's so many of them in so many games in so many different scenarios. But with an analyst, we now actually have someone who can look at another team, seeing what they are doing in any given situation. And yeah really help us mesh our thinking of how we play together with how other teams play and yeah. get a better result from that. But what you're trying to say is that it really takes a lot of time to analyze every single team, what they do, and you need another person to do that because it would just be too time-consuming for yourself or for the players or, and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd say that because there's so many different scenarios in PUBG. With now, well, now have three maps even, but, and all the different kinds of circles that can jump back and forth, uh, with constantly facing off against 15 other teams. There's just a lot of stuff going on the entire time. Yeah. So, in order for us to actually have a good overview of every team, not only ourselves, then we need another person. And, uh, she's really found herself in that role uh, because now it's not only me but also her doing our best in order to support the boys performing yeah and like i think i said earlier this is not about us telling the guys what to do this is about us giving them tools to do stuff the way they want to do stuff you mm-hmm. know all right, so when it comes to other PL teams, uh, some teams don't have a single person outside of four players. Uh, what do you think of uh, that kind of structure? I don't think that's a structure anyone actually wants. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it might go well, like short term, but you need more guys behind you as soon as things start to go south. like. You need. It basically is like I said, or like I would said, like an in-game role. Uh, everything can go fine for a team that doesn't have an in-game leader, as long as everything is going fine. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you hit the wall, like, and 
things doesn't really work out for you anymore, then you still have to have someone there taking charge. Someone yeah. there saying, own the whole situation. And if you don't have that, it won't get better as easy. So mm-hmm. having people behind you as a team is always good. Mm-hmm. And even like two years ago when I was new to this job, I could still see things in the game that they couldn't see because they were playing it. I yeah. had the a fresh pair of eyes that could actually look at a situation telling them, okay, this is what happened here. And maybe we need to actually adapt accordingly. And uh, yeah, so so I'd say it's a big missed opportunity for every team that's missing out and having someone behind them. Um, But it also needs to be the right fit. And similar to how we struggled with finding an org, you also need to find that right person standing behind you. Yeah, Because if you don't have that, then you might as well not have anyone. So when it comes to return of investment from the org side, um, what do you think is the max amount of people that should be uh, involved in a pro team outside of four players? I mean, probably a maximum three outside of the actual players. If we're going to go with the absolute max, then mm-hmm. you'd have an analyst and you'd have a coach and then you have a manager, all doing mm-hmm. separate things. Yeah. Right, right now it's kind of me doing coaching and managing. Uh, and then an analyst. Eventually, I'm going to guess the coaching role becomes more fluid and maybe I'll be coach or managing coaching and she will be analyzing coaching, mm-hmm. per se. But yeah, I'd say maximum three. I think two for us is a good fit because the responsibility of being a manager is still like, it's a lot of work back behind closed doors like I sit in a lot of meetings whether it will be with NIP or PEL or Starlander or PUBG Corp there's a lot of things going on that people don't see so having one guy doing both of this is not really optimal yeah but I mean one of the reasons why I have you is just to learn about your job yourself and also how how things function in the background when it comes to professional teams especially in PUBG. So what is like one let's say chore that takes most of your time um that you have to do let's say on a weekly basis. Uh yeah. I I, I guess the one thing is that very few weeks are the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. But from my perspective, it could be just... Well, one thing could be me talking with NIP because we have partners in NIP that we want to work with and mm-hmm. they want to work with us. But it could also be like, okay, we we need stuff from them, whether it be like a new keyboard or if it's a new mouse it's me talking to them and not the players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then it could be me talking to PL regarding a situation within the within the tournament because PL right now it's all a big work in progress. Yeah, Every, every, everything isn't perfect. Things are going in the right direction. Uh, we're working together here with fifteen other teams and PL or 
we could say Star Ladder and PUBG Corp. So there's a lot of different uh, people wanting different things. But in order for us to actually yeah, make progress here, we have to work together. Yeah, I understand. Um, so, yeah. When it comes to you coaching, you're, you're, like you said, you're kind of a mental coach, but also, let's say, a life coach for the guys because you also need to, I guess, organize their, uh, their schedule during the day and, and uh, get them to do certain things. Um, of course, you're not their parent. They're, they're grown men, and uh, we don't have... Are they, though? <laughs> some, <laughs> some. <laughs> but um, we don't have young players in PL. I think you have to be 18-plus, correct? So yep. uh, you're not really like a parental figure for, for anyone, but uh, what are the things are, that players do wrong, let's say? What are their bad habits that you're trying to fix? Hmm. I think we're just trying to put things into perspective. When, especially maybe when things go wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been around for quite some time and I know life. And life isn't always easy. And sometimes you really have to work for stuff to go the way you want them to go. And you can't ever take things for granted. And that stuff that I tried to work with them to understand. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, not maybe a parental figure, but in a way I still am. Mm -hmm. uh, because I want the best for them. Uh, and whether it be in-game or out of the game. And this is the first time for some of them living from or, well, not living at home, uh, and especially living in another country. Yeah. And they're still young, so just helping them uh, settling in Berlin and dealing with life in general, with both things outside of the game and inside of the game. Yeah. I try to be there for them, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to hear because we don't we don't get that information. You you don't really hear too much on PL or the interviews there about what goes on in everyday life and the struggles, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean of course you don't really show that because you don't want to talk about struggles of course, like of course. like ever. Uh but the struggles are there whether it be for or well in our team or in other teams like like I said, like life happens and it happens quickly. So yeah. you have to make the best out of it and just not take it for granted. Yeah. So tell us about your team. Um, what are the main qualities of each of your players, let's say, and how the general structure looks like in your team? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the easy way of saying it probably be that NBS is, NBS is in game leading, uh, so he's team captain and trying to. Well, he, he probably works the closest with our analysts, mm -hmm. uh, so they talk a lot about what's going on 
and in game he's also taking charge of stuff. Uh, that's also why we recruited him now, like a year ago. Um, so he in game leads, and but I wouldn't say that he's like the sole in game leader mm -hmm. because in PUBG, with the maps that we have, you, you can't really have one guy knowing everything because it doesn't work that way. And the one guy doesn't see everything, so it's always like a constant discussion on things, but he has the final say. And every now and then, the final say have to come really, really quick because two seconds later and you're screwed. So that's up to him um, doing that. Uh, we have Miraku, who I used to call a support player before. Uh, but if he's a support player, he's probably one of the best fragging support players there is. <laughs> yeah. Then we have uh, Gaxi. He's probably the enter fragger. Uh, Unleash the Gaxi. Yeah. Probably. A very famous. <laughs> <laughs> Unleash the Gaxi. <laughs> it's Frankie. Yelling that out at Creamac Austin, I think. But yeah, uh, it's the enter fire. He basically goes first. Uh, you you could say it comes natural to him. Yeah, when you play with him, you can definitely feel the the energy just bursting out of him when it comes to fracking. <laughs> yeah, and I think he's finally found like his good way to do this. Uh, it was a time like if we go back in time when he newly joined Team Kingwin, he might have been a little bit too aggressive uh, and didn't really choose his uh, spots on being aggressive. But he's settled down a little bit and realized that sometimes it's better to stay alive a little bit longer because then I will get even kills rather than, yeah, yeah. than to getting the kill early. Uh, then we have Vod and let's say Vod is probably one of the best he's probably have the best moment in the entire scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It doesn't look natural when you look at him. Or maybe it, that was it, maybe it is natural. It looks like too fluid. Yeah. Because yeah, it, he doesn't move like any other player. Exactly. And yesterday's game, he, he felt like he had nine lives because people were just shooting at him and he pulled the matrix and no one could hit him. And he has an insane flick shot. Uh, but he's, yeah, he's a fragger. Could call him a secondary in-game leader, but everyone in the team is basically a secondary in-game leader. Um, yeah, so that's like the main structure. Mm -hmm. But in PUBG, it seems like almost no top team has like a designated uh, in-game leader. It's just impossible in, in PUBG to, like you said, to have someone that knows everything. Yeah, I mean, we are probably one of the teams that have like the most appointed like in-game yeah. leader. Yeah. NBS is an in-game leader. Mm -hmm. That's like period. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't have an in-game leader that does it all. Yeah. You, you can't sit there and expect the in-game leader to say everything mm -hmm. because it doesn't work that way. So let's go to the last topic. How do you see the future of a 
coach or a manager role in uh, pro teams evolve over time? Like not only PUBG, but in esports in general. Esports in general, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say that it's going to be like interesting and much like esports in general, this is pretty new, right? Yeah. Like coaches and managers haven't always been around in esports. They started popping up now, but it's still not like every team has one. But like esports is still new. This is yeah. something that people forget. Like I might be old. I've been around since early 2000s. And that's basically when esports started. When I started playing this game, or not this game, but when I started like being in competitive gaming, mm-hmm. there was nothing as like big tournaments. You, you couldn't make a living out of gaming. Fatality, when he won a bunch of money, it was like, oh my god, he he's super rich now. But if you look back at it, yeah, many gamers have earned what he's made. So esports is an ever-evolving thing. Yeah. So it's, so it's the role of a coach and manager in esports. And that role is even newer. So it will define itself over time. I think it will be more and more common, especially like in the pro scenes of games, that you basically have to have someone there uh, for support uh, with all the tournaments and stuff happening. You kind of need a manager mm-hmm. because as players, them playing the amount of or the amount of time they actually have to put into playing, you, you can't sit in meetings half of that time and all of a sudden lose out on practice time. Exactly, uh, yeah. So you, you need people behind your team. And you probably also need people looking at your games, and your opponent's games. Yeah. Because if you're going to do that yourself, you won't have enough time to, to practice and become like this good player. Exactly. So for, I think the coaching role and the managing role, both of them are needed. Uh, the analyst role is more of a game-dependent thing. But uh, I, I see both of those roles, like they're going to be constant things in esports. All right, makes sense. Uh, maybe not for single-player games, or not single-player, where, where it's 1v1 yeah. games. But especially for like team games, for sure. All right. Okay. I'd like to thank you for coming in today. I think you shared some pretty interesting insights. Um, something that people yeah. don't really know about uh, your job or yourself or uh, the teams that you were in. So uh, yeah, it was a great talk. Thank you for coming. No, thank you for having me. And hopefully, people realize that background people is needed, and we're here to support the boys. So, that's and you actually do do. something, you just (laughs) don't just (laughs) sit on the side, we don't just sit around and write on a piece of paper. (laughs) We try to make ourselves useful, and yeah, yeah, that's great. All right, thank you, man. All right, make sure to follow at Dofos on Twitter. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and rate the podcast, sign up for a newsletter for more behind the scenes info, upcoming content, and some of my personal thoughts. See you in the next one.